Would you stand with me for the, in honor of the reading of God's word? Tonight we're reading from 1 John, starting in chapter 1, and verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So tonight we're starting a study of First John. And we're just going to walk through this. And again, Sunday night's a little less formal. It's more interactive. If I ask questions, you can answer so uh, starting next week, there will be handouts. I thought with the introduction tonight, I would just uh, run with what I had. But starting next week, I already have handouts made, and so they're ready, and there will be questions, things for you to think about and fill out. Uh, so look forward to that next week. But tonight, I want to ask you this. We have this letter of 1 John. Let me ask you this. Who wrote it? John. John the Apostle, right? What else did John write? All right, so the Gospel of John, right? So we have the book of John. What else? All right, so 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, right? There's three of those. And then what else? Revelation, right? So that's the, the real big one there. That's quite a bit of the New Testament, isn't it? I don't know what percentage of that is, but you put John and Paul together, and they've got a pretty good monopoly going on. And then you add Luke and Acts, which are written by Luke. So you put those two together, that's a big chunk of our New Testament. So this is John, we, um, but it's interesting, this is one of the few, Paul usually tells us he wrote it, right? He writes his name on it. Does it anywhere in 1 John, does it say that John wrote it? In 1 John, it does not. And so his name doesn't actually appear anywhere in the letter. And so there's, we're kind of having to look at church history, but also, if you go back and look at some of the older manuscripts that had the inscriptions written above it, they, even early on, attributed this to John. Okay, and so we believe it is, in fact, one of the letters of John, even though he decided not to write his name on there. If you go and look through some of the other letters, you'll notice that the book of Hebrews also doesn't have a name on it, right? And so there's debate. Well, did Paul write it? Did Luke write it? Did somebody else write it? And... At the end of the day with Hebrews, I don't think it matters who wrote it. Uh, but I think there's a good I think there's more evidence here, both in the way he writes and some of the things he talks about, that this is the writer of the Gospel of John. And so I think we're pretty secure in that. Anybody remember where John spent much of the end of his towards the end of his life, or a lot of his really ministry years? At Ephesus, right? So we know he eventually gets exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He spent some time there. But before that happens, he spent much of his life there in Ephesus. Now, who do we think traditionally was with him? Anybody remember? David, who was, who was there in Ephesus with John? Mary. Mary. And I know because he has a picture of Mary's house on his phone. When it, from the time he visited there, right? And uh, so, seriously, there's a house there in the city of Ephesus 
where they will tell you if you go in that that was where Mary lived while she was there. Why would it make sense that Mary was with John? Yeah. Jesus said, hey, behold your mother, behold your son, and essentially turned over responsibility to John to take care of her. So if John ended up in Ephesus, it makes sense that Mary went there as well. Now, is the house that's there today the house that Mary lived in? Probably not, right? I mean, it's probably much later construction. We have no idea. And does it matter which house Mary lived in? Not one bit, right? Like, that's not really that important to us. What's cool is when you go to Ephesus, to me, is to walk out where the port used to be, where the harbor was, and you can see it, and it just runs into a field. Because over the years, the sea has pushed all that silt in there, and it's filled up the harbor. It's now a landlocked city, but back in the day, you could see where the ships would come in. And you could sit there and stand in the amphitheater where Paul would have preached and where some of these guys would have been. And so it's a fantastic place to visit. doesn't matter hill of beans, which house they lived in, right? So we know that John was there. He spent part of his life there. We've also seen Paul spent a good chunk of time there. Timothy was there. We've seen other people coming in and out of here. Uh, what's interesting, though, is when you think about the church at Ephesus, it probably wasn't just one church, right? There were multiple churches, and not just in the city, but as you went looking around that region. So it's more, most likely that John was traveling from church to church, going to encourage them, and uh, so he's obviously writing to them at different times. And that's what I believe we have happening here. Now, when you get to Second and Third John, they're more specific about who they're written to. But I think First John, they probably wrote this and they passed it around. Some of Paul's letters, Ephesians, Colossians, some of those you can actually find manuscripts, old Greek manuscripts where they changed the name to another city because they were sending it among the churches. Okay, They know, hey, we want this church to go to Colossae, but while you're sending it, also send it over to Laodicea because it's just a day down the road, just a quick journey over there. So they would do those sorts of things. They would send these letters around and circulate them around. Now, the next question, though, if this is a letter, and I believe it is, it's the genre of this, it is an epistle, it's a letter, even though he doesn't write his name on it. The thing is, when you write a letter, you don't just write it to some random person, right? You have a specific audience in mind. You have someone that you're actually written it, writing it to. So 1 John, we believe, was written to the churches near Ephesus that were associated with him. But there, there was always a reason, too, right? Like, how many of you just write letters just for the fun of it? I mean, some of you, if you've had pen pals, you grew up in that age, you, maybe you did, right? You just wanted to relay information. But usually, you start writing a letter, there was an occasion. There was something going on that meant, hey, it's time to write a letter. We know with Paul's letters, a lot of times, there was something going on in the church there, something needed to be addressed, something he needed Timothy to do, and so he would write it for a specific reason. Well, we have to kind of read between the lines a little bit with 1 John. But what we believe is that a group called the secessionists, and that's just a name that means they were people leaving, right? They were succeeding. They started out in the church. They were perhaps teachers, perhaps pastors, and faithful church members that over time, some of them bought into heresy. Some of them would have listened to allowed false teachers to come in and began to take over those churches. And so what that would have happened is eventually they would be trying to convince the other Christians, hey, 
That John guy doesn't know what he's talking about. If you want to be a real Christian, you have to have the special knowledge, the special information that I have. And you've got to have it revealed to you by the Spirit. You've got to have the special revelation. By the way, later on, there would be a group called the Gnostics, a religion that would develop. And this is probably an early form of that that they're running into. It's not fully developed like it will be later on in history. But the Gnostics believe a few really interesting things. Right? One, they didn't think that the Scripture was sufficient. Right? You had to have special knowledge. And the ordinary, everyday Christian might not get that knowledge. So you don't know. Maybe God will save you. Maybe He won't. But at the end of the day, one of the things they also believed was that anything that was flesh, if it was your body or physical, it was evil automatically. The Spirit was good. And so a lot of them began to deny that Jesus ever had an actual body. Because you can't have a body and be pure, they thought. And so they would begin to make that divide. And so as we read through... um, as we begin to read through this, they would begin to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. They would deny that there was a a reason for Jesus to spill his blood. Um, They would deny, as as these teachers came in, they would deny that they were even sinners. Isn't that something? That's why when you look down, look down very quickly at 1 John 1, 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now that's generally true for all of us, right? That's a message for all of us, but specifically, when you've got false teachers coming in saying, hey, look at us, we don't have sin. He's telling them, look, if anybody's telling you that, they're a liar, and the truth isn't in them. In them. And he wants them to recognize these false teachers. Also, flip over to 1 John chapter 4. It says, beloved, starting verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard, and it is coming, and now is already in the world. We're going to talk about that later on when we get there. But you see what he's fighting against? He's saying, look, every teacher that comes in, you better test them. You better make sure that what they say lines up with the Word of God. What you've all, the gospel you've already heard and believed for all these years. Because if it doesn't, you don't need to believe them. Notice specifically, what did he call them out for in chapter 4? Those that would deny that Jesus came in the flesh, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's a strong word, isn't it? And so John is wanting to make sure these churches recognize the false teachers that are going around. He wanted to refute their teachings. He also wanted to reassure the believers that they were in the truth and secure in Christ. How many of you ever read 1 John? Do you like it? Yeah. Is there anything in there? Do you ever read it, though, and just kind of get disheartened? I'm going to say it it says some hard things like, you know, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. 
You know, it says right here in verse chapter one, verse six, says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Have any of you ever not practiced the truth? Or thought, you know, maybe I've walked in a little bit more darkness than I should have. And sometimes I think we take that approach to our Christian life. Like we, we sin, we mess up, and we begin to immediately go, oh man, am I good enough? And I'll admit, as a new Christian, there's a couple, two books that really bothered me. One was 1 John. Because I'm reading it and going, I still have some sin patterns in my life, right? And I recognize that and go, well, does that mean I am excluded from salvation? And then the other one is James, because James says some things that are pretty harsh about that too, right? And you have to begin to try to figure out the interpretation. What, how does this all come together? And uh, not to get too far ahead, but just to look down here, he says in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, his goal cannot be to make us doubt our salvation with every sin that we commit. There's specific things that he's talking about, and his goal is actually to build them up and reassure them in their faith because these false teachers are saying, hey, you might not even be saved. And he wants to assure them. So before we get into verses 1 through 4, turn all the way to chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And look over at verse 13. I'm actually going to go back just to do it. I'm going to go back to verse 12. It says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Look at verse 13 again. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may think, guess, maybe, wonder, if maybe, possibly, you have eternal life. That's not it, is it? He said, I wrote these things so that you would know that you have eternal life. He's trying to make this as clear as he can get. And so we have the gospel is brought in here. But sometimes we look at some of these other passages and we think, Man, I, it's got to be the gospel and works, right? And we know those things, go to, they go hand in hand, right? A new believer is going to have works in their life. Someone that's regenerated, someone that's been made new, they are going to have works. But that doesn't mean that every time we fail, we start asking, are we really saved, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. Now, just to reiterate this, turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and then look down at verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. 
It's an interesting statement, right? John says, hey, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that I did not write in this book. Verse 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. As you read the Gospel of John, he just gave you a purpose statement. Why are these things specifically included in the Gospel of John? So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, that's the Gospel, right? We think of John 3.16. This is the same writer. So we go, you know, think of John 3.16. Somebody tell me, what's it say? Yeah, that's right. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So that all who would believe would not perish but have eternal life. And so that's the same writer. And so as we read 1 John, we need to be careful to remember what else he said, compare it to the rest of Scripture, and to know that this book is really about assuring us in our salvation. And there are some hard things still, but nevertheless... Uh, we want to read it and understand it and be encouraged as we do so. Uh, we don't want to be like I was as a young man, thinking, well, man, was I good enough? Because sometimes as I read it, I got to that point. And there are still days where you read it, and you look at somebody that's just a hateful person that says they named the name of Christ. And it's tempting to look at that and go, you know, if you hate your brother, are you, do you really know him? And that, that's something that, honestly, we are supposed to judge within the church. We're supposed to understand rightly, encourage people towards repentance. And so it's not that we're cutting out good works. It's not that we don't want to walk with Him. But it's not always about questioning our salvation. Okay? 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Go back to the very beginning of this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to how John addresses them. What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What kind of language is he using there? What we have heard, right? And he says what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have done what? Touched with our hands, right? So he's using the sensory language. Who is able to say that about Jesus? Who can actually say, I saw him with my eyes, I heard him with my ears, I touched him? The apostles? The eyewitnesses, right? I mean, it could have been, you could have one of the apostles, you could have the other disciples, Mary, Martha, some of these other folks that listened to him throughout his life. At one point after his resurrection, it says he appeared to over 500 at one time. So there's eyewitnesses to the text or to Jesus who would have heard the gospel straight out of his mouth. And so you can imagine as false teachers come in, he comes in and he says, Look, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested. We have seen and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which the Father which was with the Father, was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. In other words, John comes in, he says, I'm an eyewitness. And those that were with him and his party, some of them were too, 
Maybe Mary was still there too. We don't know. But he's coming in saying, listen, I've just told you what I've seen and heard. These other guys come in and they claim they have some special knowledge. What have they seen or heard? And immediately you see, well, who should I listen to? John? Or this guy I don't even know. Right? And it should be an easy answer for us. We should go and say, yeah, let's listen to John. But he really wants to assure them, listen, the gospel is real. What we have seen is real. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've touched it. And it says the life was manifested. It was revealed. We've seen and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. And as we read this, you know, you, he's proclaiming Jesus and the word of life. It's Jesus that he's touched. But Jesus comes and gives us eternal life, doesn't he? We know in him that we have true life just as we read a minute ago in in, in John chapter 20 and in 1 John 5:13 that you would have life in the name of the son of god that you would have eternal life and then you look down at verse uh, we look down a little bit in, in verse 4 it says these things we write you almost have another purpose statement here so that our joy may be made complete in other words, I write this to you so that, and honestly, the way it's, it's written, you could translate that, uh, these things we write so that your joy may be made complete or so that our joy together may be made complete. That we'd have assurance of salvation and that they would not go astray, that they would remain in the faith, that those churches would be strong. He says, I write these things so that our joy, your joy and our joy may be made complete, made perfect. And that's important because he's not pushing them back under some other system, under the law. He's bringing them back to the gospel, reassuring them in what they believe, but also admonishing them and telling them, look, beware of these false teachers so that you will not go astray, so that you will remain in him. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, Jesus his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, this idea is coming back over and over, and it's going to keep coming up, that Christ has paid for our sins. But we have to come with, to him, and I, we can look at that. We're going to come back to this some next week as we look at the handout. But you see that statement, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Somebody tell me, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Yeah, outside of his will, outside of his law, we think of darkness. We think of the th evil things that are done under the cover of darkness at night, things that we want to remain hidden. What does it mean to walk in the light? To be obedient. So we, if that is the case, right, and, and I think you are right, how is it that our sin is cleansed according to this verse? Look at it again. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Is it just, there's got to be more to it though, right? Because as I read it, I, I begin to again immediately come back to the point of, well, what do we mean by walking in darkness? And walking in light because if it just means, well, today we're someone that's, um, let me give you, let's say somebody's addicted to drugs, right? And we say, well, that's a sin. There's some things going on. And we would begin to say, well, are they walking in darkness? Well, they could be, right? But then we, the question is, well, does Jesus' blood still apply to them? Are they saved? Could be any sin, right? Like, think about the habitual sins that you have dealt with in your life. It's enough to say, well, if I have this habitual sin in my life, I need to begin to ask and doubt what Christ has done for me. Because on first, at first glance, it kind of looks that way, doesn't it? And so next week, as we get back into this, we're going to answer that question a little more thoroughly. But just to give you a brief answer to this, let's finish the next couple of verses and look what it says, right? Verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I think when, it, when we start talking about things like, do we walk in the light, or do we walk in the darkness? There's big questions about faith. Do we believe, have we come in and believed in Jesus, who is the light of life, or have we not? Because if it's just individual sin issues, right? It says here, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. In other words, if we say, that, well, I've never walked in sin, well, we're lying right there because every one of us has done it. But then if we, on the other hand, uh, if we say, that, well, if we admit then, well, well, we have sinned, then suddenly it's, well, are we walking in darkness or are we saved? But the question here actually points us back and says, no, you need to confess your sin. Admit your sin, acknowledge your sin, and that you have need of forgiveness. And that's why it says if we, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think we have to be very careful. You see why, you see why I'm saying we have to be very careful with how we handle this text? And that's why I want us to spend a couple of weeks. Uh, we won't go verse by verse through all of John. But we're going to look at different parts of this over the course of the next probably month or so because I want us to break it down into little details. What does it mean by this? Because uh, just kind of scroll through your Bible real fast. Scroll through this verse or through this, the next chapter. And there's some very beautiful moments, beautiful things where it teaches us about Christ. But then it also says things like the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 
But the one who hates his brothers, the darkness, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Church, let me ask you a question. Have you ever hated someone? Think deeply. I mean, yeah. And you remember what Jesus said about hate? If you hate your brother, you've murdered him. I mean, it pushes us pretty to think deeply when we start thinking about the, the sins of, you know, there's sins that we have to actually act on and do, but there's also the sin issue that's in our heart, right? And so we had to be, I mean, I just, again, I'm going back to thinking through my childhood or when I first became a believer and, and reading through some of these and wrestling with what does it mean? And yes, right away I also knew, hey, that means I need to stop hating people. It means I need to stop judging people. It means I need to start loving people because all of, of what John is writing really puts, pushes us back to you've got to love, you've got to believe in Jesus, you know, love the Lord, and love others. And he's going to come back to that command over and over again. But what I want to say to you tonight, though, is we need to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And here's what I mean by that. Again, at the end of the day, when I get those questions and I say, you know what? I failed miserably this week. I have to look at Jesus and say, you know what? He paid for that. And I know he did. I know I've called on him. And he has rescued me. So that we can go with John and we can go with these others and understand that he wrote these things to us, that we, that to those of us who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that we would know we have eternal life. It's there for our assurance. Because in our assurance, in our rest in Him, in trusting in the works of Christ and not in ourselves, we are made stronger. We're able to actually get up and fight some of that sin. Whereas Satan wants nothing more for us to just stop acknowledging our sin. Just pretend you don't have it. You guys ever met somebody, met somebody that said they didn't sin? I have. And it blows my mind. I've had people tell me, well, I've never sinned. Or maybe, well, I used to sin, but then I got saved and I haven't sinned since. Guys, I've had people tell me that. And it, I'm just looking at life and going, either you're something different or you don't understand what sin really is. And so we rest in Christ. We rest in what he's done. I'm not going to belabor this tonight. Um, any comments or questions? Before we move on. All right. I know we have some homework for next week in our morning service. Read uh, Genesis chapter 3. Read Romans chapter 5. And you know what? If you just have time, read through 1 John. It's a quick read, right? And I know some of you just, you know, you're like, well, I'm retired. I don't have anything else to do. And uh, so... Uh, if you can, keep reading it. Somebody's making noises, so that probably means I need to stop talking about that. But I was, uh, you know, somebody else today, I was talking with uh, some of our visitors, and, and I was asking them if they were, I didn't know if they were retired or not, and they said they just retired, and 
that's a good thing, right? They were celebrating. And so it's just a good time. But uh, let's, let's be in the Word together. Let's study it together. Be expecting the handout next week. And, and because we're going to do that, I do expect next week to be more questions and answers. So read, maybe if you just get through the first chapter, read it. And let's be prepared to talk about it next week and see how we can actually live out the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, tonight as we get into this invitation, God, I pray for your blessings on this church. Father, I pray that each of us would have assurance in Christ, that we would know uh, that we are saved. But also, Father, I do pray that we'd be obedient, that we would walk with you, that we would not be those who live continually in the darkness. Because you have saved us out of that. You have rescued out of it. And Father, we can trust in Jesus and trust in his salvation because there are those who went before us who witnessed it, who saw it, men and women who, who have testified to the truth, testified to who Christ is. Father, we thank you for that, and we praise you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.